Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Hope you're doing good. I feel like I always say that in the beginning, but I mean it. I really do hope that you're doing well. And today I'm going to be talking about something that I'm surprised I haven't talked about before because it really does impact a lot of our kids with anxiety or OCD. And it's something that I think gets missed a lot. And I'm going to clump up a couple of things together. So I want to talk to you about depersonalization, derealization, and existential fears because they all kind of intermingle and hang out. And so they're, they're easy to cover all together. And even if you don't know what those are, or you think your child doesn't struggle with those, it's good to listen to this episode anyway, because I find that, and maybe you find this as well, but the more you understand and know, the more your general knowledge grows, the more you're able to catch these things when they happen. And these things often just pop up out of nowhere. And they don't scare you as much because you know what they are, especially with these three things. And you handle them in a more effective way because you have this knowledge. And that's kind of my whole hope for this podcast is that it just gives you this great overall general knowledge that makes you kind of a parent expert on anxiety and OCD. And And I see this happening in my AT parenting community, my online membership community, when I hear parents talking to each other and they have so much knowledge and I'll watch someone come in and have very little knowledge and we're all pouring knowledge into them and they get free access to my online courses or a couple of them. And within, you know, six months, eight months, sometimes a year, they have, it seems like as much knowledge as any anxiety or OCD therapist. And I love that because I think that knowledge should not be coveted. It is something that we need as parents. And that is why I do this podcast so that I can provide it for you and hopefully an engaging sort of way. All right. Okay. So before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for keeping this podcast going by sponsoring it. I appreciate that. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy And it's available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., which is awesome because there's a lot of countries that don't have good access to mental health care. And, you know, the United States is like that, too. With COVID, people are very filled up. And so NoCD is a really good, viable option. And you can schedule just a free 15-minute consultation without even, you know, being sure if you want to go that way just to see if it's a right fit for you and your child. So just go to Treat My OCD dot com to learn more schedule your free 15 minute consultation and i'll leave a link in the show notes as well okay let's dive into this so i'm gonna just break it down really simply and then we're gonna go into a deeper conversation about what to do to help your kids with this and this is something that i actually struggled with myself and had a sibling who struggled with this as well so these issues this depersonalization derealization these existential fears often piggyback on our anxiety and OCD themes. And if you have panic disorder, they're also really common too. So it's not surprising that a lot of people with anxiety or OCD struggle with these things. So I'm going to just quickly define them. 
They're not really complicated to define. It's just something that you may or may not know. So depersonalization, the person part of it is a clue. You feel like you're not yourself. And so a lot of times people who struggle with this, and I will say it shows up differently for different people, like all themes. And so you have to take what I'm saying and just generalize it. I'm going to give you the broad strokes. So this might be a child or person. It's not obviously just a child, but we're talking about kids today. We talk about kids most of the time, (laughs) unless we're talking about ourselves, which we can be as well. They feel like they're not themselves. So what I see with younger kids is they might think that they are really a robot, or they might think that they are really not, they look in the mirror and they're uncomfortable because they're not who they're seeing in the mirror. So it's focused on, I'm not who I am or I'm not who I think I am, or I'm not who you think I am. And so that's really scary. It can also go the other way where I'm not sure who you are. And I don't know you're my mom. What if you're not my mom? What if you're a robot? What if you're a monster? What if you're an imposter? And so it's this depersonalization of of yourself or and or those around you, which is really scary. You can also have it where it's derealization. And I really don't think you have to split hairs on is this depersonalization or is this derealization? It really, to me, doesn't matter 100%. I mean, it's good we want to know the core fear or the core sensation because this can be very sensory oriented as well. But you don't have to split hairs and be like, I don't know which label to put on it. It doesn't really matter as long as you get the gist. So derealization is, is this just a dream? Is this a simulation? Now that we have technology, is this a VR game? Is this real? Am I actually living this or is this all pretend? And so that's kind of questioning your environment and your reality. And then when we get into existential fears, it can get bigger than that. And so it might be, why are we all here? What's the purpose of life? Where did we all come from? Where, where do we go when we die? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be doing anything? I mean, I can go on forever. Existential fears are just, you know, existential thoughts, but they're fear-based and that's the difference. So I know when I was in my early twenties, maybe like 19, I was in college and I started to have panic attacks. And when I would have a panic attack, I would start to have these issues, these depersonalization issues and derealization. I would think, It was for me, it was more derealization. I would think I'm in a dream or I'm in a fog. Nobody can hear me. None of this is real. I would have those kind of thoughts. And it's very unsettling because you feel like you're kind of an observer outside of your body watching. You're not dissociating. So that is very different. That is a totally separate issue, which is not what we're talking about. But I'm just questioning what I'm seeing. I'm questioning what I'm experiencing. And so when you have panic attacks, you're at a higher risk of having these depersonalization or derealization issues where you feel like you're not in reality. And part of that is because people with panic attacks have different themes and they can overlap just like everything else can. So some people worry they're having a heart attack or some people worry that they're not going to be able to catch their breath. And some people worry that they're going crazy. So when I had panic attacks, I didn't ever worry about heart attack That wasn't one of my themes, but I was worried I'm going to run out of my breath because breathing tends to be a theme for me. And I was worried I was going crazy. And by crazy, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was going psychotic. I felt like nothing was real. And so it goes back to the derealization. And a lot of times we don't hear enough about this for people to realize that this is a very common theme. And so people who suffer, like I did, who didn't have a diagnosis of anxiety, My family was busy with their own struggles. And so I was 
you know, not treated and not diagnosed. It just was winging it, (laughs) trying to figure out what was going on. But it's very scary because you don't know that this is common. And part of helping with depersonalization, derealization, and even existential fears is letting people know, letting your kids know if they're struggling with it, that this is common. And I do have two YouTube videos on this topic. So I think that can help too. And one is on depersonalization. And I kind of touch on derealization too. So that even though the title of it is depersonalization, it can be for derealization. And the other one actually goes into the difference between depersonalization, derealization, because people want to know. And does it matter anyway, is the title of it. And then I go into like tips on how people can work through those things. So there'll be a link in the show notes on those two YouTube videos, and you can check those out. But that's part of how you help your kid is educating them. I know that's a really scary feeling, but I also want you to know that that's a common feeling. And that really is like 50% of the relief is knowing, okay, I'm not going crazy. This is a common thing. So my youngest daughter started to have these struggles and she takes after me, (laughs) sadly, in some good areas, but some bad areas too. Her anxiety, very similar to mine. Initially, it showed up where she wasn't sure I was her mom. And so she would say, are you sure you're my mom? You're not a robot. And then she started to get some compulsions around this. And so sometimes when we have anxiety and OCD, or we have anxiety, we have a genetic predisposition to OCD as well, which you do. So if you have anxiety that runs in your family, then your kids have a higher predisposition to get OCD as well. So you have to, even if you are solidly in the anxiety disorder category, you really want to educate yourself on OCD because your kids or yourself are at higher risk for that and it gets missed. So you can have an anxiety theme and then OCD can come in and and kind of hijack it. And when that happens, OCD is just more rule-based and compulsive. So OCD might say, oh, I don't like that feeling that my mom might be a robot. So let me add a little compulsion there to make myself feel better. And that's really when it turns into OCD. So you don't want to split hairs and get too overwhelmed or consumed with, you know, what is, is this anxiety or OCD? Because the way that you're going to approach these three issues, depersonalization, derealization, and existential fears might be very similar regardless. So she started to do checking behavior and she would say, what's your favorite color? And I didn't know what she was doing. So I'd be like, it's purple. And she'd be like, okay, you are my mom. So she was quizzing me to make sure that I truly was her mom. We wouldn't want to do that if I was aware of it, which eventually I did understand that that's what she was doing because that's a compulsive behavior and reassuring, I am your mom. Look at me. Remember me? I give you a little kiss like this, right? That doesn't help because reassurance, and I have many podcast episodes about this, about how, you know, reassurance can be a compulsion or reassurance, how it doesn't help our kids. Episode 27 is an old one, but a good one on understanding that. It's not that we can't be supportive, but we don't want to provide that loop that kind of grows the anxiety or OCD instead of squashes it, especially with OCD. So it can show up that way. With derealization, a lot of times, you know, we can have people start to panic they start to get withdrawn. They start to question everything that's going on. They really, you know, depending on how severe it is, they they can have a hard time functioning. Lucky for me, my derealization episodes were only specifically when I was having panic attacks or if something was a little amiss. So when I was at college, sometimes there'd be like fog that would roll in. And so when there was like fog on campus and I couldn't see clearly, 
it would be triggering and it would kind of create a panic attack that would put me into that derealization mode where I question whether anything was real or not. So you can have your triggers. And then existential fears, there is something called existential OCD. And I really wanted to just say existential fears because sometimes I feel like it's solidly in the anxiety category where someone just really worries so much about these big questions and not in a very curious, inquisitive, good way, but in a very stressful, panicky sort of way. And existential OCD is about that too, but you have those compulsions that go with it as well. Um, And I don't want to split hairs on whether it's anxiety or OCD. I just want to talk about what it is. So this could be, is there a God? Why are we here? What is the purpose? What's my purpose? Do I have a purpose? How did we all get here? Are we all small, insignificant? Any of those big questions that can be really great to, to ask and to explore are not when they are coming from anxiety or OCD. And I think a lot of times we get trapped because we think our kids are just being deep and philosophical, which is great. And we want to explore that with them, but we have to realize when we're talking to anxiety and OCD and not an inquisitive kid, because when we approach it, like they're an inquisitive kid. And if I could just give them information to have them ponder this or give them some possibilities about these big questions, you'll find when it is anxiety or OCD driven, that more panic ensues. Like you can't you can't satiate that that curiosity because it's panic and it's it's anxiety and OCD driven versus when you have just an inquisitive kid you can have these deep philosophical questions and they get satisfied or they their anxiety gets reduced because they're like oh well, maybe this is what's happening and so that can be a little gray and kind of hard to tell and you can have a child who can have both right and that gets even more confusing So that's just a snapshot of what those things are. And then there are sometimes triggers that can bring this stuff on. So I already talked about panic attacks. So panic disorder definitely likes to hang out with these issues, the depersonalization, derealization, existential fears. I do feel like when kids experiment with drugs and alcohol, um, particularly drugs, they are more likely to trigger depersonalization and derealization issues. And sometimes when they've stopped using the drugs and even marijuana, brief uses of marijuana can trigger these thoughts that do not go away once they stop using them. And so you can use them recreationally and that can kind of trigger an onset of depersonalization and derealization. I don't know the research behind that. I'm just telling you from my own experiences of working with people that that can be a trigger for some people, not all people, but for some the other things that can trigger these things are the obvious things like trauma and grief. So when you have a big trauma, you're dealing with a traumatized brain and it can it can have these issues as well. And certainly with grief, when you already have the anxiety or OCD foundation and then you add a sudden loss or a loss of anything, those existential fears can come in. So I'll give you some concrete examples from my own family because I feel like it's always good to just get like a visual of what this looks like for different people. So a lot of times I'll talk to kids and they think that they're in a dream or they think this is not real. They, or they feel like they're watching life outside of themselves, but again, not dissociating. And like I said before, with my daughter, it started off, and this is way before my husband died where she would question that I wasn't her mom. Are you sure you're my mom? And she'd say it jokingly because she kind of knew it was irrational, but um, you can see the panic in her eyes. 
The other thing that she started to have that I didn't really catch on until she started to have more of these symptoms was we would go for walks at night and she said, I can't look at the moon. And so she would try to avoid it, which is kind of compulsive. When you're avoiding something, you know, in an extreme sort of way, we want to look at that as possibly being a compulsion. She didn't want to look at the moon. And when I would ask her why she doesn't want to look at the moon, she'd say, it makes me feel like I have a funny feeling in my stomach. I do hear a lot of younger kids describing anxiety or OCD as a funny feeling in their stomach. I don't want to say that, or I don't want to see that because it gives me a funny feeling in my stomach. That's a very simple way of describing stress and anxiety. It's, it sits in their stomach for some kids. And she would say, it makes me feel weird. That's another common word I hear with a lot of kids. They'll say, it makes me feel weird. It makes me feel small. This is what she says. It makes me feel uncomfortable that there's something more out there than just here. And I don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about there, there's a moon out there that makes me scared. And so that was really like an existential fear. And just lately she's been having all of this come back up again. And that was grief triggered. And so, yeah, obviously when your dad's here one minute eating dinner with you and the next morning is gone, that's going to create a huge amount of fear for any kid. But then when you already have some depersonalization, derealization, and existential fears that already existed as one of your themes, I mean, it's just going to glom onto that. So that's been a huge thing for her. When we try to talk about, you know, where is dad, you know, and kind of do the grief work, it's been triggering because she doesn't want to talk about heaven or something that she can't see. So any of that spiritual talk that I try to have with her that has helped me creates more and more panic in her. That doesn't mean that I can't have those conversations because they are important conversations to have, but I have all these books and stuff that I wanted to share with her and I can't have her read them right now because she's going through a period of time where these existential fears are overwhelming. So a lot of times we'll think that if we can just give them the answers, it's going to make them feel better. And what I have noticed with my own child is that she doesn't need answers because she's not really searching for them. Her panic is not driven by true searching. I hope this makes sense. It doesn't mean that she doesn't want to know those answers and that we can't have those good intellectual conversations. But when she is in that mode where she's panicky and I can see it in her eyes, she doesn't need or want to know my philosophical approaches on spirituality. (laughs) It's not going to help her. No matter what I say, it will not help her because just like if you have a child who's having contamination fears, If you try to talk to them about how that's not contaminated or it's not going to hurt them, that will be very short-lived reassurance because they're not rational in that moment. They're not looking for that answer. They are spinning out of control and they're compulsive and that reassurance is just going to be part of that loop. And so that's really tricky when it comes to existential fears because or derealization or depersonalization because we just want to swoop in and say, hey, here are my beliefs on this or it's not that scary, blah, blah, blah. And I have to wait and have that conversation at a different time when that's not currently going on or when she's not panicky and see how she feels about that. Can we talk about this? And when she's not in that space and we talk about it, she can have a conversation and she can go deep and it's not as scary. Now, if you have a child who's having pretty big episodic period of time that they're having these struggles, I maybe wouldn't process those things with them at that time. That's complicated for us because we're dealing with grief. 
And you would think after eight months that things would have settled, but I'm finding, I mean, this is like the first time I've lost someone like so important. That was like part of everything I ever did. It's like losing a twin. Eight months is like nothing. It feels like it just happened yesterday. Like I replay that day in my head every single day. You know, there's, there's not a day that goes by. I mean, it's not, there's not an hour that goes by that I probably don't think about it. And so translate that into a kid. It's the same thing, you know, or maybe even more so. And so eight months is nothing. So when you've had a big loss or a trauma and they're having these issues, it's going to take some time to process those things. Now, having said all that, you can certainly have depersonalization, derealization, existential fears without the trauma or grief that can trigger it. In fact, most of the time, it's not triggered necessarily by any of those things, although it can be. (laughs) So I know that was like, she just said it can't, but it is. Uh, It can be, definitely is a symptom of trauma that you can have those things, but not always. So like everything, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So what to do and how to help. It's tricky because there is no silver bullet answer for how to help people with this. It is a very scary experience when you're having it. And, um, you know, I have worked with kids where it was, it was severely impacting their ability to function, where they felt like their world was a dream and it made them feel depressed and they couldn't function, couldn't get out of bed. That's very extreme. And really at that point, medication options are the best way to go to help the brain kind of pull through and and work through that before you do anything else. But a lot of times it's not that severe. A lot of times it is not the number one theme. It pops up periodically and can be upsetting at time. So maybe at bedtime, I see that a lot with younger kids. Bedtime is a hard time because you're tucking them in. It's dark. A lot of anxiety and OCD themes tend to crop up at night, or it can be during an experiment, experimental thing. You know, if I'm a teenager and sometimes I'm smoking pot, well, that might be triggering and I might have like an acute episode of panic during those times. And there's a lot of kids doing recreational drugs that we don't even know about. So you may not realize that that is part of your child's pattern if you have a teenager and may not realize it. So grounding is the number one thing to do to help. And we don't talk about grounding as much when we talk about OCD. Grounding is definitely used a lot for panic. But in this instance, grounding of you are here, you are right now, you are sitting in this chair is very powerful. So working on mindfulness can be really helpful with depersonalization, derealization, and existential fears. Trying to fill in those gaps and say, trying to play philosophy with our kids does not help. So just saying it doesn't matter. You know, we may not know these things, but you are here. And then using the grounding techniques, which is, you know, the the senses. What can you see? What can you taste? What can you feel? What can you hear? Google grounding techniques, you'll find a million of them. So this isn't an episode on grounding techniques, but that is where you'd want to go is search grounding techniques. And those can be very helpful. Also like physical things that bring you back. So going out in the backyard and, you know, putting your feet into the dirt to kind of literally ground you putting them in water. I notice a lot, and I don't know if my daughter does this for grounding or if she just likes the feel of it, but she'll often go into my bathtub and pour water in there and just stick her feet in there. She might just want her feet wet, but she does that a lot. 
And so sensory things can help. Uh, A weighted blanket over your lap. Again, it's like heavy. It's grounding you. Tactile stuff. So putty or kinetic sand or Play-Doh, again, with a tactile. Oils can help. So peppermint or spearmint or spearmint, whatever. (laughs) You know, whatever helps. It doesn't really matter what it smells like. But again, it's a grounding thing or a smelly candle is a grounding thing. Uh, When I would have these issues, oranges help me. I don't know why. I don't just like the flavor of the orange. And I think like my, I I always felt like my sugar levels were dropping when I was panicking. And so like the shot of sugar, I think for me felt like it helped. And whether it did or did not physiologically, it, it was a placebo that helped me. So when I'd feel nervous and I had an orange, I instantly felt better because my brain told me, if you have an orange, you'll feel better. And so I did. I would actually also, I need like fresh, cool air. So opening up the freezer and putting my head in and feeling that coldness was very grounding. So whatever you can do to get your child from being in their head to being in their body is really good. So deep pressure, are you hugging them with deep pressure? Again, it's going to depend on your child what will benefit them. So you just ask them what things feel good. I'm going to try a bunch of different things and what feels good. It is really important to educate them so they understand your anxiety or OCD is making you think that you're not real. And anxiety and OCD is all about doubt, right? Well, OCD is more about doubt than anxiety, but it's about doubt. And so when you fight it, you're just going to get trapped like quicksand. So you have to just say, yeah, but I may or may not be real, but you know what? I am in this chair and I am eating this orange and I am getting a hug from my mom or I am smelling this lavender. And so we don't want them to necessarily fight the reality of it. I am real. Are you real? I am real. How do you know you're real? Because of blah, blah, blah. We don't want to argue with these sensations. Am I in a dream? I'm not in a dream. Or am I? We don't want to argue. We want to accept. Yep. You know, doubt is part of life. I may or may not be. I don't know. It's not that you want to necessarily say that to them in the moment. You may or may not be real. You don't know because that could be very triggering. But we don't want to provide that reassurance that says, honey, you are real. I promise you. I remember delivering you. It was very painful. (laughs) We don't want to get into that loop because what you're doing is you're creating a secondary issue, which is going to create some dependency on you to tell them that they are real or to tell them that this isn't a dream. And then you can get some secondary separation anxiety because now your child needs to be with you in case they have that sensation. You can tell them that they are real or that this isn't a dream or that their purpose in life is this. And we, we don't want that. And we really don't want that for any anxiety or OCD theme. And that's why we talk about how to get off that reassurance hamster wheel. It is different for OCD and anxiety as far as the severity of the damage that it can cause. With OCD, it's very damaging because you're really in an OCD loop where you are really part of the compulsion. With anxiety, you're just not empowering your child and you're going to create a secondary anxious attachment to you because they're going to think the only person who can help me is my parent. We don't, we don't want that. We want them to love us. We want them to enjoy our company, but not need it for their survival. And there is a very big difference. So grounding is your number one. I mean, I I wish I had a long list of things that can help with this, but they're really just a few things. So it's education. Hey, this is what it is. Watch my YouTube video. There are other YouTube videos on it and that helps normalize it. You're going to have these feelings sometimes, and I know they don't feel good, but it's common and this is what it is. And so that can really help. And then grounding techniques. Let's talk about what grounding techniques you like the best. 
What are some things you can keep on you? You know, can you put some putty in your backpack or can you run your hands under cold water? What things work for you? What things do you like? Um, Some people put their hands in a bucket of ice and water. You know, some people chew on ice. There are a million different ways to, to get grounded. And we want our kids to start to develop their own coping mechanisms for what will help them. Recently, my daughter was just having, she's having a really rough time this last week and started to say, what would make you feel better? And eventually she took a bath and I have like, kind of like a makeshift. I went to a hotel and they had like one of those jacuzzi baths and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need this in my life. (laughs) And I wasn't going to like redo my whole bathroom. And I do have like a deep bathroom, bathtub. And so I was like, how do I get this to like blow bubbles? So I got like a, one of those cheap little like jacuzzi machines that you can actually put in your bathtub. And so I turned that on for, I've only used it once, which is such a sad thing. I've had it for like, I guess, seven months, eight months. But that helped her because she's like feeling all the bubbles around her and I lit a candle that smelled. And so she was in a much better mood after that. So find what works for your daughter or your son or your kid, whatever, but don't tell them to go do things. Say, here are some ideas. What do you think will work for you? We want our kids to be empowered enough to help themselves. That's really important. And then the other thing I would say is practice mindfulness in general. And I know that seems kind of maybe like a weird thing to say, but for this particular issue, being able to be present in the moment and practicing that is really important and helpful. So being here and focusing on what's right in front of you can really be a good reset when you're having depersonalization issues, derealization issues, or these existential fears, focusing on what am I doing right in front of me, which has been kind of a survival skill that I have been doing. And so it's, it goes beyond just these three issues. It's actually a really good anxiety or OCD survival skill or human skill for life is just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. What is right in front of me? Okay. Well, this microphone is right in front of me and I'm recording a podcast and that's all I'm doing. And that's all I have to focus on right now. My mantra, which I've shared with you before, if you are listening to me regularly is you are here. Thing I've already told you this, but I saw a license plate with you are here in my kid's school parking lot. And I loved it. And I was like, that has become a mantra. Like you are here. And that really grounds me because I'll just say, I am here. I'm in this moment. What am I doing in this moment? I am eating. I'm eating breakfast. What does my breakfast taste like? I know that sounds kind of stupid and, and simplistic, but it is very grounding. So when I start to spin out of control and feel really overwhelmed, I'll say, I'm sitting here eating breakfast. All I have to worry about right now is just breakfast. It's all I'm eating. It's just breakfast. We can practice mindfulness in that where our, our kids can just focus on one task at a time and they're doing one thing and they're really consumed with it. That will help with these issues because it's anchoring them in the present moment and they're not getting lost in their head. So some things to try. I know those are not really fun things to deal with, but I hope this episode has helped you identify and understand what how this stuff shows up a little bit more. And just a couple of skills to work on with your child to help anchor them. And, you know, you can put like screensavers that you are here in this moment or prompts. What are you doing right now? How does it taste? What what do you smell? You can teach your kids to have like these prompts and these grounding sentences and questions on their electronics and stuff so that when they're feeling anxious, they can go and they can see them and they can just remind themselves to do these things or to think of these things to bring them back to center. So I hope you found this helpful. Hope you find my podcast helpful. If you do, you know, I always love it when you hit a star and 
review it. I greatly appreciate that. I do show my gratitude. I always like to try to read one of them if I have one to read. So I do want to say thank you to Kay Voss. I'm just trying to click on this, but it's not really coming up. It says, your podcasts have given me hope. I only wish I would have found them sooner. Well, and I say it's never too late, right? Never too late. Even if you have an adult kid or if you're struggling with your own stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had this when I was younger. You still are living life, right? It's never too late to start working on this stuff or learning new things or trying different approaches because every day is a new day and we can really enjoy these days on a deeper level when we understand what's going on with us and we learn how to soak up the good and navigate the rest. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do and I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.